Cool. All right. Um, let me share my screen. And I've got a very short PowerPoint presentation that if you guys notice, if you look very carefully, you'll see that I got the um, generic AI themed um, PowerPoint template, which I thought was incredibly appropriate. Um, so hi, um, my name is Andrew Mooney, and um, I had the pleasure, uh, have had the pleasure of working with Zena for like the last six months, thereabouts, um, at Mediafly, which you can see, this is the company that I work at. Um, and what I really wanted to talk to you guys about was my experience moving into the data science world um, and where I came from. And um, I think there are a lot of very obvious paths to take into getting into data science. And a data science, I will talk through from this point on, not as an industry, not as a major, but as a general philosophy of how you approach data in general. Um, I made the crack a few minutes ago about like data being, you know, the new oil. And it's it, and that's been true for years. The really funny thing is, is most companies don't actually know what to do with that data. Um, and when I say most, I'm not talking Google. I'm not talking Facebook. I'm not talking the really big people, uh, the big tech companies where they have a set process when you join, you, you get brought into their teams, you are a salt cog as part of a big machine. I'm talking more about my experience, which is um, the small startup businesses, a little scrappier and to talk through my experience because, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, especially for the seniors here, you're all nervous about what you're gonna do next year. Uh, if you're not, I mean, congratulations. Uh, but uh, everyone should be nervous about the real world. Like what you do next is a big, big choice that you make. Um, and part of what I wanted to talk about was not only sort of like what your options are, but like what you should expect and also like maybe provide other ways of thinking the things, uh, thinking about the things that you're gonna do next and how you approach this industry. Um, so I would really love it if this is just kind of a back and forth where you guys ask me questions as I go, like, feel you don't have to put yourselves all on mute. Feel free to interrupt me um, and like put your hand up or I don't know, say something. Um, but yeah, as you can see in my title slide, I used to be a hair salon manager. Um, I'll get into that in a second. Um, but like, this is the basic agenda. I want to talk you through how I got to Mediafly and how I learned data science, which is not a traditional path, right? You guys are taking the more traditional path. And that doesn't mean that this doesn't apply. I just learned some things along the way that I want to pass on that will help and or, you know, direct your choices in the future. Uh, two, I want to talk about what data science actually is. And um, that is not a series of machine learning models. Data science is a philosophy. It is a it is a approach to how you handle truth and how you apply truth in different applications. Talk about that in a second. And then three, communication. What do you do with the truth once you figure it out? Or at least once you are convinced of that truth, right? And then four is just open-ended. Whenever we get there, I will answer whatever questions you guys want. Um, I'm very honest. Oh, are we recording this by the way? We are, yeah. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm very, Dana will tell you, I'm very honest. I am very straightforward and I will tell you everything I can because I enjoy that. Um, so feel free to ask me anything you guys want.
All right, so my journey, my credentials and why maybe you should listen to me in this case. So um, I, uh, I'm i like 35, that's right, I'm 35. I graduated from Oberlin uh, College in 2009. Uh, does anyone know what happened in 2009? That was really fun for everyone in my generation. The, the financial, financial crisis. Yeah, a recession. Um, it's crazy, you know, how things change. Um, anyway, um, yeah, we are about we are in the midst of a recession right now as well. And I'm sure it's, some of you guys are nervous about that. Some of you guys aren't. Um, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm doing great. Um, so don't even worry about it. The one that happened in 2009 was brutal. And I, I graduated with a double degree in math and theater. Um, if you're asking how do those two things go together, you and my parents should have a really good conversation. Um, nobody knew why I wanted to do those things. Um, I, I, as you may have guessed, I like talking in front of people. I enjoy that. I enjoy performance, but I, and I enjoy storytelling, which is going to be kind of an ongoing theme with the rest of this, um, because I do think that storytelling is a core part of one of the things that we do as data scientists or people who care about data. Um, and then the math side of it is not only just, um, I like finding answers. Um, I don't know about you all, but I love proofs. I think proofs were one of the biggest changes in how I thought about a subject ever. Um, now I'm not talking about like geometry, 10th grade proofs. I'm talking about like, you have an exam that is three questions and they are three proofs. Uh, like that really changed how I thought about the world. And um, that was a very pure mathematical mindset. I hated statistics when I was in college. Uh, I thought it was math for liars, um, which is not wrong, um, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, so I graduated and my first career, as I said, I was in the recession. I couldn't find any work. I moved to Chicago. I wanted to do theater, but I also wasn't sure what else I wanted to do. I didn't try to get in any internships. I wasn't going the big corporate direction. I wanted to go the artist direction. So I moved to a hipster area of Chicago and I managed to get a job at the front desk at a hair salon, which uh, was very random and strange. Um, I, I was very fortunate in the fact that this company was about 20 years old when I joined. And it had multiple locations. And if any of you know, do any of you know the hair product, American Crew? Maybe. I think so. I've seen, I've seen on the if, shelf. If you are a dude who uses hair products, you'd probably be encouraged to use American Crew at some point. Um, yeah, that was created at the salon that I used to run. So I, I came in to a 20-year-old company um, being like, oh, everyone knows what they're doing. Like, this makes sense. And all I have to do is do my job and everything will be fine. Turns out that is never true no matter where you go. If you go to a hundred year old company, please do not assume that it is a, a stable, well-run place, right? Um, I uh, learned very quickly that I was one of the few people on staff who knew how to use an Excel spreadsheet. We were owned by a corporation. That changed and I was in a very fortunate position where leadership needed new people to make decisions but didn't know how to do it themselves. And I positioned myself in a, a, at a moment where I was the person to rely on. So I actually became the operations director of those salons. It was a $6 million company, not huge. It was 100 employees. But I learned a lot of really intense life lessons managing over 100 hair, uh, hairstylists. Um, number one, don't try to talk math to hairstylists when you want them to do something. 
Um, so this is why I care a lot about mathematics and storytelling, because um, you figuring out the right answer is useless in a vacuum. Figuring out the right answer and then communicating it to the right stakeholders and getting them to make the right actions, that is data science. Just coming up with an answer in a vacuum is um, kind of misses the big philosophical point. So um, I, was at, I was there, I was managing hairstylists for about um, 10 years, um, which was too long. And then um, COVID hit and it really gave me the uh, excuse to change my life. And so I signed up for a part-time data science bootcamp. Um, originally, I didn't even want to do data science. I wanted to do software engineering because I was like, I want to, I don't know, make video games or something. And then I was like, oh, I know how to do these things. I know what linear algebra is. I know like, oh, wow, I understand a lot of this curriculum already. So um, in that bootcamp, what I was fortunate about is it was very nuts and bolts. It was, this is what it is like to work as a data scientist at a company. These are the packages you need to know. This is the coding language you need to know. It, it was theoretical, but every piece of theory that we learned had to be applied in some way. So it was five phases. It took about a year. We went through the basics of Python. We went through the basics of pandas and um, merging data frames. And we shifted into uh, linear regression shifted into logistic regression. And then we went through like all of the extra, like all of the different like models that you could use, XGBoost, you know, um, random forests. Like we, we played around and we, we built these. We had to do it as part of homework. We had to do it as part of projects. And then we got to uh, select our final projects that we wanted to do. And I, I selected a natural language processing uh, model that I um, was interested in. So my first, so I built a few of those now, and actually Zena and I built one together for that we actually still use at um, at MediaFly. And um, I, I started with tweet analysis and sentiment analysis, and then I shifted into um, my final project was taking um, novel like sci-fi novel descriptions and then trying to figure out what subgenres of science fiction they are based on the words that were used in the actual description. Uh, it didn't end up going where, but it was a cool, very revealing uh, project. So from there, and this is how, this is kind of the important part, is how did I get into the tech industry? Well, I met someone playing video games one night and we became friends by playing video games. That's 100% that's true. We just randomly met each other on the internet. We happen to both be living in Chicago. We are now like best friends. Uh, Zena, this is Jan James Hemberg I'm talking about. Like we just randomly met online and it turned out he wasn't a weirdo and wasn't a creep and he worked at Mediafly. And he, um, he is definitely somebody who thinks ahead um, he thinks about like what's next. And he was on a marketing team where they had, they knew that data was essential, but they had no idea what to do with it. Like they knew they had data in this app and they had data in this app, but they didn't have a way to see it all together in a single place. And so they were like, we're looking for a data scientist. They didn't know what they, they knew that that would be useful. I was like, I could do that. I, I yeah, I would do that. And and they were like, well, we can't really pay you anything. This is just like to sort of see if you can do these things. And I was like, cool. Uh, I don't want to be paid because I know that once you offer to pay me, you have to go through procurement. You have to go through HR. I have to sign a bunch of different things. You have to get budget approvals. I don't want any of those things. All I want to know 
is that if I can do the thing that you want me to do, that when there is a job opening on your team, you offer it to me. And they said, yes. And that is exactly what happened. I worked for them for about two, three months, 15 hours a week, just messing around. I showed what I could do. I showed that I had potential and then they invested in me, which um, I think is an ongoing theme of my career is that um, showing potential, but also delivering results on a regular basis does help you move up the ladder in a lot of ways. Um, I've been very fortunate at Mediafly. I've been, it's a very scrappy company and I will, uh, I can talk a little bit, uh, I can talk at length about how scrappy the company is. Um, but it, you know, um, in my day to day, I don't do a massive amount of data science. Like I don't do a whole lot of machine learning. I pointed out the model that Zaina and I worked on because it was the first model I had worked on in earnest at the company that is now in use. Because at a small business, like a medium-sized business like Mediafly that's just past startup, those machine learning models would be like using a bazooka to kill a fly. What I spent, I my title now is Revenue Operations Manager of Systems and Marketing Operations. That's a whole lot of stuff, um, but I'm in revenue operations is basically what uh, I'm going to tell you. So, um, yeah, I have learned a lot. I have learned a lot that is in my field. I have learned a lot that is not in my field. I am in a completely new career. I'm in year two of that new career. Um, I have seen businesses that are in the tech industry, and I have seen businesses that are outside of the tech industry. And um, I would love to answer any and all questions you guys have on any of those things, because it's a lot. Um, and uh, there's a lot of things you're going to learn about the business world. There's a lot of things you're going to learn about employment. There's a lot of things you're going to learn about managers that will be true no matter what industry you're in and will be specific to things like the tech industry that are frustrating. Um, so before I move on, any immediate questions about any of this stuff, like my life so far? Uh, yeah, I have cool. a quick question. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming today for the talk, first of all. And it's sure. really inspiring uh, how you took the boot camp and got into data science. So my, I, have two, I have two questions up till now that uh, when you got into data science, so and when you started working with the Mediafly, so exactly like uh, what what operations you did like did you use any machine learning or uh, any data analysis or what insights if you could share any of them yeah like so um i will tell you this i learned how to do xgboost modeling i learned the theory of data science which i will talk about theory of it in a moment um i learned all of those pieces at flatiron what I needed to show to get my first job in tech was that I knew how to take one spreadsheet from one API and merge it with another spreadsheet from another API and reveal new insights. That sounds very simple. That is making a call in an API with Python, merging it together and pushing it somewhere else. Um, if somebody came to you and told you, this is the thing that I want you to do, anybody who has a basic understanding of pandas could stumble through that pretty easily. Um, that is one of the things that is amazing about being a data scientist is that I didn't put it on the slides I was going to, we're Swiss army knives, right? 
you have tools at your disposal. Machine learning is a tool, just like having a hammer in your house is a tool. But if you have no nails to hit into the wall, then that hammer is gonna do nothing but gather dust, right? And here's the thing, you don't want to use a hammer on a screw. You don't want to ha use a hammer to fix your sink. You want to use a hammer to knock nails into the wall. Now, um, that's that's reductive in what machine learning can do, but it is important to remember that as anybody here who has created a machine learning model, you are massively restricted on what you can put into it. In fact, the more restrictive you are to the maximum degree of what you can put into that model with the right mentality, will yield you the best results. So you actually want to be very careful about where and when you want to post, uh, you want to use machine learning. So that aside, um, I got my job from two things, knowing how to use Python and knowing how to talk people through challenges. I'll tell you that that first thing is very easy for anyone on this call to learn. That second thing is a product of experience and philosophy. And that that is the piece that I want all of you guys to sort of like keep in mind as we go through the rest of this conversation is that so I actually do very little technical work on a day to day basis, but I make a hell of a lot of impact on our business because of the right conversations that I'm having. And the only way I'm able to have those conversations is because I'm looking at the right things. I'm making the right decisions. It's like, um, that old story where uh, there was a, a it's, it's probably an urban legend, but there's a machinist who was called in to fix a machine at a company and they like, they couldn't figure out what was going wrong with it. And the guy came down and he like checked it all out. And after about 30 minutes, he just took his hammer and he knocked one spot and everything started working again. And he was like, that'll be $6,000. And they were like, what you just hit the thing with a hammer and he was like yeah okay well i'll charge you one dollar for the hammer hit and five thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars for knowing where to hit um and, and that's that's the thing that uh, to keep in mind is that as you do these projects as you do the as you go through courses as you complete finals all of that information is invaluable it really is. That is experience. Um, there is a lot more to that experience that you guys need to be successful in the long run. But the great thing is, is you're going to keep getting that experience the more stuff you do, right? So it's not something that you guys need to over-engineer. It's going to happen. It's more what my piece of advice would be to every one of you is be patient and be aware of what you're learning and keep being thankful for what you're learning and keep reviewing what you're learning, right? Like, Failure is a is an essential part of iteration, right? And iteration is an essential part of success. So every failure, you should be learning something. So that was my incredibly verbose answer to your question, where I have done machine learning with a lot of different models. Um, in work, I have needed to do machine learning with zero models, but it has been very helpful where I have needed to use them. Um, I hope that answered that question um yeah thank you so much for that that was really insightful for sure um so as you guys might notice uh i talk a lot so um sorry about that <laughs> um all right so moving on finding truth all right 
I've talked a lot. We've talked a lot about what data science is. You guys are in a data science club. Anyone want to take a stab at trying to define what data science is? Data science is like, uh, like any other sciences, fix up your system and like to find the truth and to understand what's happening with that particular phenomenon. So when we try to understand how that is behaving, how that is, or what this data actually represents, how it could be interpreted, that's basically the study of data science. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, sorry, your your microphone was uh cutting out for a little bit, but actually that's a really good example of data science. Um, uh, am I audible right now? Oh yeah, you know, I, I could I could understand what it was because we caught every few words. Um, but that's actually yeah. a really good example of what data science is. Um, data science is us making a pattern, right? It is us understanding patterns. It is us looking for truth. Um, and um, what I'm glad you didn't say was data science is machine learning models because that's not what it is. As I said, machine learning models are a tool. Um, they are a, a thing that data scientists use. I'm willing to bet that everything that we use right now is gonna be defunct in 10 years. Um, and it, like how we define data science, in fact, we might have a completely new word for data science in 10 years, but the philosophy is not gonna go anywhere. Why? Because the philosophy is in the name itself, which is science. And that is the thing that I really want to emphasize in this conversation. I don't know how much of this, your guys' curriculum is focused on this, but data science is a process. And, and, and it's a philosophy and it's both of those things in exactly the same way that the scientific method is. The only difference is that our entire realm of experimentation is data. So like you can apply data science to any kind of other science, but um, this is the awesome process. And I this is one of the things that we were quizzed on at our at data science bootcamp and something that I really encourage you guys to keep in mind. You can Google this, I got it from Katie Nuggets. Um, but this is essentially the data version of the scientific method. And the reason the scientific method is still the scientific method without any edits since the enlightenment is because it is a common repeatable rubric that anybody can follow to try to find truth. And basically what you're saying is that the answer to my question is outside of me. I am trying to find that. As I get more data, as I get more information, my conclusion might have to change to fit that new data, right? Um, and let's talk through how this works in the data science in the data science oeuvre. Um, number one is obtain. Get good at obtaining data. Uh, this requires you to have a base knowledge of SQL most of the time because you're going to have to query databases. SQL is the most common language like there's a bunch of different sequels out there there's postgres there's regular sequel there's salesforce sequel they're all pretty much the same thing if you know one sequel you're only like three google searches away from knowing postgres um two learn how to uh, query apis it's going to make your life a lot easier i do it using python uh you can use curl uh to do that um but in general, you need to get your data from somewhere. Um, I, I, has any Have any of you guys had to gather data from different sources for your projects yet? I'm uh, guessing actually, seniors have had to. 
yeah actually in my one of my research project like i have to uh, i have to collect cancer cell line data so i'm observing those particular genes which is behaving in a certain cancer let's say lung cancer in different data sets so i'm collecting that over the cv portal or national cancer institute over the csvs and i am sure. writing my job for the research part is to like write the code to compile all of those data yeah and how much of that data ha- is incomplete or has null values or has typos or um just doesn't fit with any of the other stuff that you want to do uh, because there are like that's, yeah that's there are like reality. Data, yeah so there are, there are some of those types yeah so that is part 2 once you obtain your data you have to scrub it scrubbing is going scrubbing obtaining and exploring the first three parts of your awesome the awesome model are i would say 90% of your time as a pure machine learning engineer right when you're building a new machine learning model from scratch you're going to spend the majority of your time in this area and that is manipulating your data so that you understand it this is a t- skill that the more you practice the faster you will move the more uh successful you will be but at the same time you also have to be aware of everything you're doing to your data like as a data scientist you should own the understanding of the data uh, know what every single one of your columns means where that data comes from why that data is and then that's that's the scrubbing like understanding how do i deal with null values know that you can't just treat every null value the same way know that every csv that you approach is going to be different um then explore i would say is probably the most fun and in fact most of my work stops right here at the explore because most of the time you can get an answer for a lot of your challenges just by using an average and that is something that i really want to emphasize for all of you guys always always build a baseline model first and your baseline is always the mean there's classic stories of machine learning engineers who have spent 50 to 100 hours working on a model and then realized that the, they were just predicting the mean and like you know that's that's the best that you can do um so always start simple and work complex like don't use a tool because you can use the tool use the tool because it is appropriate for the current situation um i have so many examples in the business world of people not following these things which is exactly why i'm emphasizing it to you guys um next um after you explore deriving your statistic understand your means of each of your columns understand your uh medians understand what your standard deviation is understand what your outliers are decide what you're going to do with your outliers understand what your correlated numbers are right like correlated columns if like i'm not sure if any of you guys know this but like if you have two highly correlated columns in your machine learning model they're going to mess everything up because your idea is that you're trying to find as many independent variables that determine changes in the final value as possible if you have two columns that are highly correlated then one of them is going to win Going to the answer as well as the other in the same way, so you're going to be count essentially double counting. Um, so that's just a 
piece of advice for anybody who's doing any of this stuff anytime soon. Um, but yeah, pick your model. Know what your models do. Know why you're using that model. Understand the difference between when you would use a linear regression versus a um, logistic regression, right? And then last and certainly not least is interpret. If you don't know how to interpret your data, you don't know how to interpret your the output of your machine learning model, then all of the work that you just did was useless. Um, and one of my favorite quotes, uh, let's see if I can find it, it's on my desktop somewhere, um, is, let me see. Essentially, all models are wrong, but some are useful. It's by George E. P. Box, who is one of the pioneers of machine learning. Models are not correct. Models are our best guess at truth. And then we can sometimes use them for predictions, but more often than not, you're gonna use them for insights. One of the best use cases of figuring out a machine learning model and figuring out, oh, that predicted my, my test set pretty accurately. What were the most important features in that model? Now suddenly you understand what is impacting your prediction. Now you know what the most important factors are in that success metric. And that is one of those things that is super, super important in this answer that you just picked. A couple of pieces of advice for everybody here on this call. One, answer the question and then reevaluate the question. A lot of the time people are going to give you a problem to solve. The first question you need to ask yourself as a rational thinking data scientist is, are they asking the right question? Are they telling me the right question to ask? This is like, I get asked for dashboards from our CEO all the time. And I am told, and I am reinforced by everybody that I work with that I should question our CEO. Just because he makes a lot of money doesn't make him right, right? Like that's, that's an important thing to remember. Your value is your ability to ask the right questions and know how to ask questions. So for example, answer the question and then reevaluate the question, right? Someone asks, why are our conversion rates bad? Well, okay, well, this thing happened. Wait, why did that thing happen? Okay, now I'm reevaluating the question. I'm going a layer deeper. That's the thing that if you are given the space to, ex to truly explore, keep exploring. Don't settle at the first answer you find. At, answer the question, figure out how that answer makes sense, and then reevaluate whether or not that was the right question. Decide the new question and answer that. As you can see, that is a constantly iterative process, right? You can get stuck on the same model. You can get stuck on the same problem forever. Uh, forever. Which brings me, skip. Uh, I didn't plan this out that well, but skips over to perfect is the enemy of good. What is the difference between perfect and 95%? The 5%? Yeah. Tell me, when you're, when you're thinking about your grain point average, does that 5% matter? Uh, I would say it depends on the context. 
Um, if you go like to the school five, where 95 yeah. versus 100 percent matters, then I don't know. Um, but yeah. I, oh, I mean, I, I, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to like, answer the, the general question. Like, is five percent in general is is good or not to obtain? I was not. Uh, I, no, no, I, I no, was no, not totally. aware I didn't mean to yeah. catch you. I'm, 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 I'm yeah, messing yeah. with you. And yeah, five percent is very, very important compared to a hundred percent. But we're not talking about bridge construction. We're just talking about completing projects of answering questions that don't people don't have an answer to, right? Yeah. So there is a difference between focusing on getting your data perfectly scrubbed, perfectly correct, with all of the given circumstances before your model versus getting something that gets you closer to the right answer without being perfect. Because in the end, if you're able to capture the trend, that's what counts, right? Um, this is something true for every aspect of your work that as you get into the business world, you will be asked to prioritize. You'll be asked to make difficult decisions about where you should spend your time. If you try to make everything perfect, you will actually waste time because that last 5%, you're not building bridges. If you are building bridges, please finish the last 5% for everybody's sake. But like outside of that, know when that 5% is still an A. Make sense? Um, next, context is everything. An answer that you get without context is not an answer. It's just a number, right? Remember, numbers are arbitrary, like representations of the real world. We use them. We use variables to represent them. Therefore, getting an answer is step one of finding, of answering the question, right? Um, which we'll get to in a second. Last, stick to the truth, not your answer. Just because you did all this work on this machine learning model, if a piece of data comes out that throws it all off, throw out the model, find a new answer, right? Because you 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 found the answer in the past when it was, that's when people are like, science was wrong. It was like, no, science just was doing science, right? Like science is a process of learning. Like science isn't wrong about it now. They now know the answer because we learned more. You should treat yourself the same way, right? Like, especially when it comes to like presenting information, which again, that's what we'll talk about in a second. And last, I've, I've hit the, on this a number of times. This is my metaphor. Don't kill a fly with a bazooka. If you don't need to use a machine learning model to answer a question and you can just use the, the mean or the average or just a clever combination of a few like statistical metrics, don't bother with a machine learning model. Like it might be fun for you. Like that might be something you can do. But when you're trying to meet deadlines, spit following what is fun for you might actually be a detriment to the rest of your workload, right? Um, and, and so that is one of those things where understanding when to use your tools and when a tool is necessary is a really important process because if you make the wrong choice, most of the time you won't hurt anybody other than your time management abilities. Um, and if anything has told me anything about data scientists in the business world, you will constantly have projects. You will constantly have projects. Um, you might not, but I'm willing to bet you're going to be in uh, a, a tall, tall order for uh, whatever, wherever you live. Um, cool. Any 
well, I'll, I'll, I'll add questions when we get to uh, at the end. Um, and I can stay after uh, our end time if everybody else can. Um, but here's, here's the most important thing. How do you get people to change now that you know the answer? That is an open-ended question without any answer. I'm still figuring it out myself, but it is a lifelong question that you guys will all have to ask yourselves as you get into data science, is how do you change how people act using data? And I know there's a lot of math majors on this call. I was a math major. I was also a theater major. There are a lot of math majors out there who get caught in logical traps because, like, because that's math, but miss the fact that your end goal is changing someone else's mind, not being right. So data is pointless without action. Remember that if you pull up if, if, and this is a great way of vetting any request anyone ever gives you. Now, obviously when you started a new company, you're going to be, you know, the, the small fish. So like do what you're told, follow you, what your manager is doing, look for mentors, all of the usual things that you do when you get into the business world, it is, you know, listen to the people around you. But in the end, when somebody is asking you, I know that, what are you going to do that differently if this happens? And this is a very simple, like, this is how I do that. All right, if that number goes up, what are you going to do? If that number goes down, what are you going to do? If that number stays the same, what are you going to do? And if they cannot answer those questions, then they do not need to know that number. Make sense? Um, people love vanity metrics. If you have not heard that that term before, please learn it and love it. A vanity metric. Does anyone know what a vanity metric is? How many, uh, I ate 30 eggs last month. That is a vanity metric. What does that tell you about me? Fucking not, I, I, I eat eggs at a, a reasonable clip, you know? You know, that that is a contextless data point. And that, and managers love those because they're not, not accountable, right? when they don't understand what builds that number, then they can't be accountable for when that number goes down. Like if you said, hey, we've sold this much stuff last quarter, and you're like, okay, how is that compared to the goal? If it beat the goal, great. If it went below the goal, that's not great. But here's that thing. You need the goal to put that number into context. And that is true for every metric that you should ever report on. That is true for any model that you spit a data point out of. And this is where the ethics of data science come in, right? Like you can, um, like I once got an application for an intern who had um, built a machine learning model that using the names of applicants to a music uh, competition could predict their race and gender, which I was very concerned by because I went to a school that has a conservatory. And I'm not sure if you know this, but when someone auditions at a conservatory, they're not allowed to wear shoes. They do it in a room with nobody else in it. 
and the people who are evaluating them cannot see them. They can only hear them because the whole point is to just listen to the music, not judge the applicant on those other, on things like gender and race. So to come up with a machine learning model that's trying to undo that very, very important barrier actually is very problematic. Does that make sense? Like there's a whole lot of, every question you're asked to answer has a lot of context. And if you're looking at all of the stuff that's happening with Facebook right now, all of that comes from people who were making business decisions without the asking the right context or even worse, <laughs> they asked the questions and they made the wrong decisions. And um, like, we are going to be, you guys are gonna be going into that business, right? Like you're gonna be put in that situation where you might have to make a model for something that you think is morally not okay. Um, because here's the thing, we've all got to make money somehow. Every industry has got to make money. And sometimes they're going to make money in ways that is not really great for everybody. And you have to make that decision for yourself of whether or not you want to um, support that or not support that. But in the end, context is essential. Um, the next thing, how do you get people to change their minds? Um, these are my three pieces of advice, things to work on and things to keep in mind as you move forward. The first thing is honesty. As data scientists, it is our job to tell the truth. We are always telling the truth. If someone asks us to give them an answer, if you give them the answer that they want to avoid getting yelled at, you are a bad data scientist. The way to do your job is to find the truth and say, this is what this information is how can i help next steps right because I, there are plenty of ceos who are just fed bs by their underlings because that is the world that they have built for themselves work somewhere where you can tell your boss this is what i found this is my reasoning i believe in it i think that this makes sense i think we need to make a change or else we're going to be in trouble i do this all the time not everyone listens to me, but I will say this, that part of the reason why I'm a trusted voice in Mediafy right now is because I was incredibly honest at every single step of the way. I didn't tell people, I didn't, I also didn't follow an agenda. When I had a narrative in my head, I didn't stick to the narrative. I had to constantly work against that narrative, right? Like I thought that this data point was because of this. Well, the next week, the data didn't support that theory. Therefore, I have to reevaluate the theory. That that is reevaluate the question, reevaluate your hypothesis, and then test again. Number two, consistency. If every single time you report on something, you report on a different metric, you're losing all understanding of what people are doing. The most important thing I did for my career in the last quarter was I sent the same email every single Monday to our main leadership, saying, "This is how we did last week." This is our trend. This is how we're doing. This is why this happened. That seems simple. That sounds boring. It was just copy and pasting a bunch of data from dashboards, but I defined that dashboard. I defined those metrics. I understood why those metrics were important. And I understood how our employees were making choices that affected those metrics. Those metrics were the lead and lag indicators that helped them understand 
is your team doing well? Because especially in this, um, in and like now that we've gone to more remote work, leaders are dependent on data more than ever, right? They need to know like, what are people doing? What are salespeople doing with their time, right? Like that's a huge question and it's a very difficult one to answer. And if you answer it in the wrong way, <laughs> people can make bad decisions. So that's why consistency is important. I can say, this is what our rate is right now, but this is how much that rate has changed over the last six weeks. So really we're in a very normal section right now. This is a seasonable, a seasonal uh, variation. This makes sense. Again, context is key to every single one of these insights. Consistency is always more revealing than inconsistency, right? So stay consistent. Don't always measure different things every single week because, you know, you get bored. Last is perspective. Give your opinions on things, but do not state them as definitive conclusions. State them as questions because, and this is why, I have been wrong about a lot of the insights that I've had in the last quarter when I have sent them to our sales managers. I've said, I don't think this is happening. I don't think this is happening, but you know, I put it in like, this may be because of this. I am noticing this and that may be because of this. Now, everyone reading that email who knows those individuals, who works with those people is able to look at that and say, I agree with that or I disagree with that. But here's the thing, if they agree with it or they disagree with it, they're thinking about it. And that is your job. If you want to change how people do things, most of the time, all you have to do is make them think critically about it. Because most of the time you are reporting on something you don't know that much about. I'm reporting on the sales process. I've never sold a damn thing in my life. But that doesn't mean that I can't consistently report on why and what is happening because I have a level of perspective that the managers don't have. They can turn it into the context. They can take that and turn that into action that they think is most appropriate. But still, I'm presenting a perspective that nobody else has because nobody else can see the data the way that I do. And that is simply because I own it, right? That's not because I'm a genius or whatever. It's just because I'm the one who's constantly reading it every single week. Um, Perspective is a really key thing. And it's also another reason why um, low-level employees can actually become very, very valuable to people because they provide perspective on blind spots. Like um, I got one of my first uh, direct reports recently. Her name's Lauren. She's awesome. Um, she naturally assumed that I was seeing all of the same things that she was and that I was involved in all the same challenges she was and working on all the same problems she was. And I was like, no, Lauren, that's why I'm doing it. You can worry about it. I trust you. When you need to ask me questions, you will ask me questions. When I need to give you feedback, give you feedback. When we need that zone and have that perspective, she's covering my back, just as you will cover your manager's back when you get hired, depending on, you know, the kind of environment. Um, so that's how I build trust. In the end, it's about honesty, it's about integrity, it's about consistency. And it's about storytelling. It's about saying, this is what I see is happening. And then understanding if we continue in this trend, what will happen? If we increase, what will happen? If we decrease, what will happen? Because then, you know, mathematicians, we just figured out 
all of the possible outcomes. You know what I mean? Um, so cool. Um, thank you for listening to my Ted talk and hearing me ramble for like almost an hour. Um, please ask me any questions you guys got um, or, or thoughts or feedback. Feel free to challenge me on any of that stuff. Obviously that wasn't anything I pulled from a curriculum. It was just right off the top of the dome, but um, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I care very passionately about this and like I've met a lot of mathematicians in my time. I know which side of the brain we tend to, to hang out on. I understand how we tend to approach problems. And um, the thing that I can advise you all is the best way to support your career is try to work on those areas that maybe you're not as strong in. And um, maybe that's applying mathematical problem solving to other areas in life. Um, for me, it's writing. I like to write books. I, I use mathematical problem solving to come up with storylines. Um, however you guys do it, um, push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And um, remember, if someone doesn't understand your answer, don't just repeat what you said. Change how you said it and see if that resonates with them more. Right? So anyway, I'm going to talk for freaking out ever. Um, any questions, guys? <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. That was that was really great, and 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 I really love like listening to you. I mean, it's you have got a real great way of like storytelling, even you know, like understanding, making us understand the process, the flow chat, and everything. That's that's really a great way to learn. Definitely, I would I would really try to implement them in my <laughs> workflow um yeah so when you said like speaking up for what you believe in so sometimes i mean there would be a point where your senior management or your management wants to hear something but you have a strong data to back you up that something is not going in right way but speaking up that might like you know do a ego clash rather than like taking it as, as a fact sometimes people may interpret that you are you're attacking their ego or like you're attacking their experience and and as a newbie in the industry you really don't want to upset such people right um i can i i can give you some advice on how to approach that problem um because here's the thing everyone on this call probably has a very direct way of talking and a direct way of asking questions and pointing things out right like we like as mathematicians we tend to like to get answers and say this is the correct answer um for a lot of reasons um and that's not wrong um but here's the thing to remember about decision making at business space. as a data scientist it is not your decision. It is not your job to make that decision. People are paid a lot of money to come up with strategy, to put that strategy into action. People who are CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, whatever that title is, their entire reason for being in that job is experience and skill set. Meaning that when you provide them with an answer, they ask you a question and you come back with them and you're like, this is the question you asked. This is the answer that I have. I can give you the feedback around why I think that is. Here's the context. Here are the things you need to know about it. This is what I see your options as. Then they have to pick one. 
if you are deciding to pick one of those options yourself and you're going to tell them that they're wrong for picking that option, then you just told them that uh, how to do their job. That is part of the reason why you might get pushed back. So um, I really, really, really like presenting executives two to three options and letting them pick. Because if you say, what should we do? First of all, they haven't been living with the question as long as you have, because you have all the data, you've come up with things, you've been thinking about it. You've like, depending on how long you've been working on the problem, you have experience with the problem. You have, you have uh, tribal knowledge of the problem, right? Like you understand all the caveats and the issues. They're getting your aggregation of the problem. They're getting your summary, uh, right? So to ask, what should I do? Is a little unfair because you probably have a lot more context to say, this is what will happen if you do this. And this is what will happen if you do this. Then they have to be accountable and responsible for the answer that you gave them. It is not your job to make decisions. It is your job to inform the decisions that other people make. If they make the wrong decision, that's on them. That's not on you. And here's the thing. I send an email so that it's in writing so that you know that you can go back to something uh, if you have to. And, and that is exactly how I've approached everything. And it, and it makes you seem very approachable. And it also makes you seem very trustworthy because in that case, you are enabling and you're encouraging senior members of staff and building their confidence that they know the truth that they understand the system, which will then make them even more dependent on your insights, right? Because then they're going to trust you. And in the end, the most powerful thing that you can do at any company is gain the trust of executives. That's not a nefarious thing. Like, even though I have done that politically at Mediafly, that's not by doing anything cruddy. It's just by telling the truth consistently and regularly without being a dick to people. And um, man, it's, it's very much helped my career so far. So that that would be my suggestion on how to approach that. Yeah, thank you so much. Really, For really sure. helpful. Yeah, totally. Any other questions, guys? I know this isn't super technical, um, but I figured like there are going to be plenty of data science speakers who are going to come in and be able to talk about things technically. Um, but yeah. This is um, the philosophy of this. And also like um, hands up on the little, the, the little hands up icons. Um, who here, this would be their first full-time job out of college. Nice. Nice. All yeah. right. Cool. One. Yes. Yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah. I couldn't Dude. see me, but yeah, I'm raising my hand. Yeah. I got you. I got you, man. Um <laughs> You will have a lot to learn and it will all be soft skills, right? Yeah. Like you will most, like everybody here um, if, in your first job, everything you will have to learn and everything that comes with experience. Um, I can tell you the reason why I was such an easy hire compared to someone who was maybe 22 years old coming out of the data science boot camp was because I had already spent 10 years of my life trying to tell hairstylists how to use math to make their business better in the hair industry. And let me tell you, that was a failing plan, but I tried really, and I had to iterate over and over and over again. I had to, I had, like, I, I didn't do things because 
someone told me it was the correct thing to do. I did things because I needed a result. And um, it's a very operational mindset, right? Like the idea that this is the correct thing to do is a very external, like objective view and um, is usually imposed by a boss or a manager or something. I have spent most of my career having a manager who doesn't know what I do, which is really hard because you don't have a mentor to help you. If I have a question about Python or, or like about like machine learning, there are very few people that I can talk to. Like I even got to our company um, and learned uh, that like some of the choices that people made about machine learning models that are in our products were bad choices. Nobody on do it through Kaggle or through like Googling packages, right? Like they didn't learn. Like one of the things that I learned very, very quickly was the curse of dimensionality. The more columns you add to your data set, the more you muddy your data, not make it more accurate. Like that feels counterintuitive, but it's really, really important to learn. Um, and all of those things, like coming into any new business, just give yourself time to learn. Um, also, never treat your first job like it's your last job. If you guys are going into the tech industry, like even after this recession, there are going to be so many jobs available. Like this industry, what you guys want to do, the skill set that you have is so transferable to so many different roles and jobs. Like don't keep yourself pigeonholed idea of what your career should be right i certainly have i like i certainly have it and i'm 35 now and i'm so much happier than if i charged into this from the get um so yeah um that's my that's my roundabout way of saying don't stress about what job you get um because you could have 10 different jobs and you will figure out what you want to do in that 10th job, right? Like failure is just one more iteration. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people on this call feel a lot of pressure to succeed very, very quickly in this industry. And um, here's the thing that I would ask every single one of you to do uh, in your own time. You don't have to do it right now. But ask yourself exactly the questions that I force my executives to ask me when they want something to be fixed. I always ask, what does the ideal state look like? And how do you get there? And if you don't get there, what are the ramifications and what does that look like? Because one of the things that I have now learned going through two recessions, um, layoffs, uh, COVID is we are resilient. We are uh, creative thinkers. We are uh, resourceful and we will figure it out. And I have no doubt that all of you guys, you're getting a great degree. <laughs> you're, 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 you're right in the right place. Like if you think about like my original career wanted to be an actor, I was not going to be successful in that realm. Not because I'm not good. It's because there's not very many jobs in that field that are easy to get with a degree. 
as opposed to this, you guys have already headed in a direction where there will be a lot of jobs, there will be a lot of opportunities, and those will only continue to grow. Trying to get the best job, um, no such thing. There is absolutely no such thing. And if you start, like, don't compare salaries <laughs> either, because remember, salary is just a number that doesn't have a whole lot of context associated with it as well. So, um, yeah. Um, I think all of you got a lot of a lot of challenging things coming up, like emotionally in your futures, and that is the same thing that every college student has had to deal with since college was invented. And um, don't sweat; you'll figure it out. You'll be all right. So. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, yeah. for a lot of insight. Yeah, thank you very much. There was, there was really, really really great piece of advice especially in the week of finals and <laughs> before the summer internship and stuff like that you know the pressure which comes with it to figure out stuff as soon as possible and i really needed to hear that that's all i can say yeah well here's the other thing i i, I i've spent a lot of time thinking about perfectionism and sorry anyone can drop off if you guys want to like i i i would not be offended i'm gonna stop um, recording now just because all right cool the end, so. 